All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is where we'll be this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you're new, um, maybe you're visiting this the first time, or, or you've been the last couple weeks, typically what we do out of the par- at the Parks Church, like 97% of the time, we are preaching through books of the Bible, meaning um, like we just finished Malachi a few weeks ago. We preached all the way verse by verse through it. Um, we're going to pick that back up August 29th. So in a couple weeks, we're going to start the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, right? That shallow little book. Um, Just kidding. It's not shallow. It's actually very, very deep. So pray for us. Um, You can begin kind of studying it on your own. You can begin looking at it and and kind of asking the Spirit to help us as a community journey faithfully through through that book. And that book's going to take us some time because it is so deep and and, and it it has a lot of different different parts to it. Uh, But where we've been and where we'll be uh, uh, through next week is we've been in a series on the church. And if you are new, this is actually, I hope, very helpful for you. Because this isn't a, just a broad, general series on the church. This is more specific. Um, we're, we're, we've been asking questions about, Lord, what do you want um, the Parks Church to be specifically about? Because we want to be a church, we want to be a community of people that's growing in beauty. Um, we know that the church, and that's why we've called it this series, Woven. We know that the church is the people of God woven together by the spirit of the living God, right? The church is not a building. It's not a structure. It's the, the community of the redeemed woven together by the Holy Spirit. And so a church or a people that are um, committed to one another should be a people growing in beauty. And so, okay, what does it look like specifically for our church, the Parks Church, to be growing in beauty? There's some things we do okay at. There's some things we do well at. There are other things that we don't do very well at, which we're going to talk about one of those today. And so if you are peering in this, I hope this is very helpful. If you've been part of the Parks Church for any amount of time, whether you were with us at day one, 10 years ago, or or you're a New Covenant partner over the last six or seven months, hopefully this is clarifying for you to say, okay, how how do we participate together? Because we've looked over the last... um, Three weeks at things like a church growing in beauty is a people who understand that they're committed. Just baseline, they're they're committed. And what we're first and foremost committed to is the glory of God. That's Ephesians 3 verse 10 that says, the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church. Okay? And then about 10 verses later, it says that the church's primary goal, the chief the chief goal of the church is this, that God's glory would be known. And so what we display as a committed people is the glory of God. What we're committed to first and foremost is that God is glorified and seen in all things and all of us, all right? We can't go without saying that. And then uh, the following week, the second week, uh, we talked about a church that's growing in beauty is a people who are committed to being deeply formed by the Spirit, that we would allow the spirit to deeply form and shape our lives so that we might be a beautiful picture and we might be a people who actually are able to demonstrate the glory of God. That the wisdom of God that flows from us as a body would be one that's taking shape because the spirit's actually working deeply in our lives. And then last week, um, we talked about a church growing in beauty looks like one that is radically committed to participation. And I at the very beginning, I wanted to clarify that I wasn't talking about volunteerism. Not talking about participation like you typically hear in church services, like, okay, where's the serving card? All right, I'll sign up, fill fill and go. No, this is talking about Matthew 5 kind of stuff where Jesus looks at his followers or would-be followers and says, listen, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. 
And so as Christians and as disciples, we understand salt and light are only good if they're present, right? If they show up in those spaces and places. And so we had to look really carefully at where do we need to show up, church? Where do we need to participate? We looked at Christ and we looked at the places and spaces he showed up. But not only did we look at where, because I think the church is okay at identifying where they need to show up. One of the areas that, let's be honest, the church drops the ball is how we show up in those spaces and places, right? Sometimes we show up in those spaces and places and we show up shouting when we need to show up serving. Sometimes we show up in those spaces and places where we're serving and we actually need to be, not shouting, but speaking, talking. And so we looked at that balance of where we show up and how we show up in those places, but it requires us to show up, us to participate in those ways in holy Christ-like ways. And so this, this morning... I want to talk about something that that will be absolutely out of the blue for some of you. And others of you, this will be a concept that you have thought about and talked about. And so what I probably will do in this sermon is frustrate both of those groups, right? I'm not going to go deep enough for some of you. And for others of you, you're going to be like, you went way too deep, right? So I'll just find this sermon in that frustrating middle for for both of you. Um, But what I want us to examine this morning in a church that's growing in beauty is this, is that we are a church growing and becoming a storytelling family, a storytelling community. 1 Corinthians 3 is where I want to start, and we'll be in verses 1 through 6, and I'll jump off of this. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? This is Paul speaking to the church. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So we're gonna start here, and this is one of my favorite little passages of scripture. But I want to get a little context of what Paul's dealing with. There was a group of people that were kind of beginning to refute Paul, right? Or the work of the Spirit, the work of Christ in the lives of the people there in Corinth or the church there in Corinthians. Um, And so Paul goes, do we need to get some letters of recommendation? Like for my apostleship, for my preaching, for transformation, the things that Christ has done. And by the way, did you notice the active agent in that? He goes, we're not sufficient in of ourselves. Like the, 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 the story that we tell is not about us, Paul says. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the Parks Church. He goes, the story that we tell is about who? Jesus. It's about Christ. In him, we have everything we need. But what he's telling the people here who would refute the work of God, the presence of God, the salvation of Christ in the church, he goes, we need some letters. You want us to get some people to pin some letters? And then he flips it to the church and he goes, here's the deal. We don't need to accumulate any of those letters of recommendations about the prior churches I've been to, about the other things. He goes, you, church, are the living letter. You, church, 
are the ones, not with ink, not with human hands, that have had the spirit of the living God write the testimony of God on your life, in your heart. And so Paul says, listen, the testimony of Christ's power and salvation is you. You. The story that you tell with your life. The story that you tell with your lips. What testifies to the goodness of God? The story that the people of God tell. You see, what Paul's getting at here is something that is hardwired in all of us as humans. We're storytellers by nature. We're storytellers by design. I say we're storytellers by design because we're designed, Genesis 127, in the image of God. And our God from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end is a storyteller. Even, even think about stories in, in your own life, right? When you get together with your family, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, or whatever. Anybody else tell stories, right? Like I, 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 we, we had the opportunity a few weeks ago to be in Missouri with a, a lot of family, which you don't have a lot of extended family. And it was just like story after story and pictures and all these things telling stories, right? And now my kids are here. And, and anybody else, like your families tell the same stories over and over again, right? I'm like, how many times do I have to hear the snake about me on a tricycle and all those things, which I'll explain at a later time. But like how many times, but now it's my kids. My kids are like, oh, oh, you remember dad that one time you were on a tricycle and there was this, you know, like, I, yes, I do. My mom has told that story for now, you know, a lot of time. But there's these just stories that get passed down. And they're formative. They're, they're powerful. And so now let's bring this into God as a storyteller. You see this actually, it's subtle, but it's there, articulated throughout scripture. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. It says that God is the author of life. Author. That Greek word means originator. He's the one, and we sing this in the new song that that Sam uh, wrote about he's the one who holds the pen, right? Hebrews 12, verse 2, which we'll probably get to this passage in about a year and a half uh, from (laughs) weeks. It says that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. That this God, our God, who we were designed and created in the image of, is a storytelling God. That he is telling one story. It's his story, right? Not to be cliche, but he is pinning that John Walsh, he wrote a book called The Art of Storytelling. He says that 75% of our Bible, 75% of that Bible that lays on your lap or that you're looking at on your phone is in story form. It's narrative. There are more than 525 individual or unique stories within the Bible. And the other 25% of scripture, 15% of it is poetry. And the last 10% is devoted to what he calls analytical reasoning, right? Which is probably just more theology or in the letters, particularly where Paul's breaking down things. But 75%? Story is important. Us understanding the heart of our God as a storyteller is important because the word of God, what it reveals is one big story. And now there are these scenes in the word of God, right? Creation, fall, redemption, new creation, but it's telling one story. And we know the power of stories, maybe, maybe explicitly or implicitly, because everything from, from the wake, from, from the moment your alarm clock annoyingly goes off, all right? From that moment on, for the rest of your day, until you go to sleep, there are stories being cast before you in the internet, 
and social media, TV, radio, podcasts, and a host of other sources. What are they clamoring for? What are these stories being communicated to you for? They're all attempts to get your attention, to form you, an invitation to turn up the volume a little louder, to lean in a little closer, to shape what you believe, to get you to participate a certain way in this world. They're all clamoring for that. And, and most of, of, of marketing is purely us just being manipulated. You know that, right? Like, sorry for you marketers, but you're good at it. Um, I was reading something, listening to something this week, and uh, it was talking about why um, in fast food, how many of you ever worked in fast food restaurants? Any, anyway, um, okay. And you had to wear those, those silly hairnets. Um, that actually wasn't something given uh, by the Department of Health. That was something created by someone who actually owned a hairnet, some, a hairnet company who said, if we can just get them to believe that this actually makes their food safer, then they'll buy all the hairnets in the world. This same guy, right? The same guy who got everybody to believe that. Um, how many of you, what is the, the greatest uh, breakfast in the world? Okay, don't say it out loud. Just think about it. I know what you're thinking. Bacon. Bacon and eggs, right? Because I'm thinking the same thing. Bacon and eggs. Where in the world did it come from that bacon and eggs were the penultimate breakfast, right? What was the ultimate breakfast? This same guy who also owned, right? He got with the pork farmers and and, and the egg farmers and we're like, listen, here's how we're going to make sales search. We're going to get everybody to believe that this is the greatest breakfast in the world. And they did it, right? I'm fully buy into it, right? Hook, line, and sinker. I love it. Bacon and eggs, greatest breakfast ever. But where did that happen? The 1920s, that was decided. The 1920s, that was decided. And we've all just been manipulated, right? But there are these stories. Listen, there are all these stories that are way more subtle than that, trying to capture our attentions, trying to capture our minds. And so here's why I want us to talk about stories this morning as a community. Because we have a story to tell. Each and every one of us, and we as a community have a story to tell. And so a church growing in beauty, a church that is growing and being a storytelling community, here's what I want. I want us to turn up the volume a little louder on our stories, to lean in a little bit closer, not to the stories of culture, but to the stories that God is writing on human hearts, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right here in our community to get a glimpse of the kingdom of God that is breaking out undeniably in our midst. And so hear hear me this morning. I'm going to make the case that we need to be living our living letter stories out loud. And so not just like theoretically or theologically or philosophically, but practically. Like what does this look like practically for us? Telling stories of God, telling about the presence of God moving. And so my first point, I'll really work from like lesser to greater. And so this first point is just a point that the scriptures make about story is that they're useful. They're useful. Like stories are just useful for us to communicate the things of God. So I'm talking to the people of God, this this community. The usefulness of Christian story is highlighted in places like Psalm 102 verse 18, where the psalmist says this, let this be recorded or told or written down or shared for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And then what follows that is all of the the successes and failures of Israel, all the faithfulness of God to meet those failures. Why did it say, like, record these, why? First off, so that God could be praised, so that God's faithfulness can be seen, and so that a generation that's yet to be born would learn from it. 
Listen, tell these stories, share these stories repeatedly so there's a generation that's not even yet born might be shaped and formed. Here's what we know about stories is that they shape us. They have power. What I just described a little bit there, even culturally over us and in us. And so as Christians, as a Christian community, we better get good at telling the story of God and his movement and his power. Even in our failures, we see his faithfulness. Or how about 1 Corinthians 10? This is New Testament now. Paul, once again, church in Corinth. Now these things happen to them as an example. Think about your life as a Christian and the things, the bad, the good, bad, and the ugly that have happened in your life. Even after you received Christ as your savior, they are there as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Here is the power. One of the most powerful things, because it's a useful tool, about story is that they show up in profound ways to encourage and edify the body, right? It, stories like surprise us that we resonate with them. Like you'll just be telling a, 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 and sharing about what God is doing and how he's moving in your life. And the person listening on the other side, because I've been on the other side of it, just been going, man, it's like they are reading my mail. Have you ever been on those? It's like, you had no idea, but what you are saying is like what I've been questioning or what I've been struggling with or what I've been walking through. You see, stories, as the people of God tell them, are about the unfolding of God's redemptive plan or story in our midst and in our community. As I've mentioned, they form us not with cheap inspiration. Hear me, not with cheap inspiration. Don't get up here and talk about stories so we just go like, oh, yeah, well, you know. But this is like, we want to be formed deeply, and stories do that. We want to be formed with a vision for what it really means to follow Jesus and live faithfully in this world. And some of our stories, they're stories of faith and and, and, and God's power and his movement. Some of our stories, depending on the season or what's there, are stories of struggle and suffering and doubt, and real power. I'm not talking the pseudo-cultural power or coercion and dominant. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real power, a gentleness, a humility, stories of salvation and forgiveness. You see, we don't just believe this from our experiences, even though our experiences matter. We believe this because it's what we're taught from the word of God. That literally 75% of his word to us are stories. That he would be called author. He would be the one writing a story and continuing to write that story today. And so dare we doubt the usefulness our God has for stories in a Christian community. And second is this. And this is ramping it up a little bit. The power of Christian storytelling. I think this is also um, neglected. And I'll just use our church, in our church. And, and why wouldn't, the enemy knows all these things. He's far smarter than you and me. He knows all of these things better than we do. So why wouldn't he say, listen, why don't we just, you know, why don't we just neglect that a little bit? Prayer's another one of those things. But why is it so difficult to pray? Because we're literally waging war with the enemy in the way that God tells us to wage war with him. Why is it that we're so distracted? Like we're, we're, you can be like the most laser focused person on the planet. Then when it comes to prayer, you're like squirrel. Like, why is that light bulb? Like that's, that's me. Right? right? I could be laser focused and not, but then you move to prayer time and I'm like, I don't know what's going, you know, like, Hey, the enemy knows 
He's the distractor. He's the deceiver. He knows the power of storytelling. Listen to this, Revelation 12. This is at the end, right? Revelation, end of your Bible, uh, the, 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 the consummation of all things. Listen to this. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers as Satan has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Aren't you looking forward to that day? By the way, I'm just like a praise break here for a minute. Aren't you looking for that day when the accuser is thrown down and he's done, right? He knows that day's coming, right? He's finished. He knows the end, right? But look at how, look at how he's overcome. Look at how he's conquered. Some of you are reading on, nodding your head. All right, don't cheat. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their hmm. story. By the word of their testimony, by the word of their story flowing out from their lives. It says, for they love not their lives even unto death. And so hear me clearly. That the enemy is overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed on the cross for you and me. That's what Paul was saying. That's what we sufficiently stand on. But there is also something that renders the enemy in his debilitating power fruitless, if you will. It's the word of the redeemed covered by the blood of Jesus. It is the word of their testimony. It's the story from their mouth and from their lives, pushing back darkness, giving a new way and a new vision for this life that has been redeemed, that has been reconciled, that has been healed. Listen, that is our testimony. You see, at the core, if you're a believer here, we all have the same testimony, right? I was lost and dead in sin, but Christ then stepped into my life and redeemed me, right? The enemy's powerless against that. Why? Because here's what the Bible says. His blood speaks a better word. It speaks a perfect word. It speaks the word of life over us. So that's all of our testimony. But listen, from there, we as believers, we have other stories. We have other moments of God's presence and his power and his salvation working out in our lives. And so here's where I want to get a little bit deeper on you, okay? Because there's something that actually sits above our story. And our stories that we share and we tell the living letters of our lives actually point to something. And they point to the big umbrella, which I'll call the overall narrative, the narrative of our lives. You see, all of those stories that I was talking about, when you wake up and you hear, you scroll and do all those things, they're trying to get you to believe a narrative, a higher story, if you will. And so narrative is this. A narrative is the overarching vision of what ultimate reality is. What is ultimately true in your life? What is that? That's the narrative. And our stories, the things that play out and roll out of our lives, are just the embodiment of that claim. So what stories we tell, what stories we tell verbally and what stories we tell with our lives point to what the narrative is, okay? So for true, when we talk about culture here, we talk about those who are peering in, True change and true curiosity to a watching world doesn't and won't happen by random individual stories. It will happen by complete narrative shifts in our lives. Claims that are backed up by spirit-filled stories articulated by spirit-filled communities. And all my charismatics are like, yeah, all the Baptists are like, what does that mean? Okay. I'm talking about people whom God has redeemed. 
sharing about his life and his work in their lives. You see, narrative claims backed up by stories. As followers of Jesus, we have to get our narrative correct about Jesus and then embody it in compelling and creative ways. Some of you have the whole narrative wrong. We'll talk about that just in a second. But what is our narrative? What is our, our narrative? And I'm going to give you the answer. And I don't always do this every Sunday, but I'll give you the answer. Our narrative is this. Jesus is Savior and Lord. What's the big umbrella over our lives? What's the narrative of our lives? Jesus is Savior and Lord. And some of you are like, Kyle, uh, okay, like I thought you were going to go deep here. And you went, Jesus is Savior and Lord. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh but you have to see that this narrative if this is the driving force and thrust of your life that, that your stories embody, it will change everything about you. If the true narrative of your life is Jesus is Savior and Lord over everything and all that I am, it will change everything about you. This is a crazy narrative in our culture. This is a nutty narrative in our culture. Just as nutty as it was in the Gospels. They were looking at Jesus after he died and goes, listen, Jesus, you were supposed to come and overhaul the political systems. You were supposed to come and set up a kingdom with all of us in charge. And you died on a tree and were buried in a tomb. What, what did you come to do? And he goes, I came to overhaul everything. I came to set up a new kingdom, not a kingdom like you want, but the perfect kingdom, the kingdom of God. You see, they had a narrative that they were living under. And they go, Jesus, I want to fit. You need to fit under this narrative. He goes, no, it's, there's a new one. I'm Savior, and I'm Lord over it all. And so when you come under that narrative, it begins to take shape, and those stories begin to embody it or not embody it. You see, um, Vern uh, Poitras, he says this about redemption. He says, redemption by Christ is a story. It is a story of something that really happened in history, in space, and time. Because it is at the heart of God's purposes for the world. It is the one central story. So in the end, all other stories about working out human purposes derive their meaning from being related to this central story. What? Jesus is Savior and Lord. Some of you are okay with the Savior part. You're working on the Lord part. You see, true redemption, I'm going to say this another way because some of you, that quote went, just, just flew out the window. True redemption, biblical redemption, the work of Christ, does more than make bad things better or more acceptable. It makes dead men and women live. It makes broken people whole. It has the paradoxical power of turning the world upside down and somehow still making it right. Christ did not come to make better people. Christ did not come for us just to clean up and become more moral and pat ourselves on the back. He came to make us a new creation. He came to give us a new name, a new identity, a new story, a new narrative which completely changes our lives. So when we talk about stories, we're talking about things that embody the claim that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And so church, if we are going to grow in this, we have to become really, really good at examining our narratives individually and culturally. Like corporately, are we just selling a church narrative? Like, honestly, like, is the narrative really here at the church just, hey, do the, the things that the pastors say to do, you know, do, do these things, good things, right things, but, 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 but that's the narrative. It's all about the gathering, the stories we tell, it's all, about the, it's all about this, it's all about how are people and all the, is that the narrative? Or is our narrative, Jesus saves and he's Lord of it all? Or how about the narratives in our life, the, the money narrative, success narrative? 
kid narrative. It's ultimate. That's not, that's not true here in North Texas, but I'm sure somewhere they need to hear that. Um, the progress narrative. Moralism narrative. Political narrative. Career narrative. Nonprofit narrative. You see, our stories, and the way to examine this is to look at the story, the living letter of your life. What does it read about? Any of you remember those old testimony times in churches, right? Just set a mic down. Whoa, whoa. Testimony time, right? As a pastor, that would make me terrified. Okay, but, but check with me here. Imagine we could do that. And we put a mic right here and every one of us would come up and the spirit would allow us to like read the living letter of our lives from this past week. What narrative would it point to? What would it say is the overarching driving force of your life? Is there anything different than your friend who doesn't know Christ and is not a disciple? What stories did you tell this week? You see, you and I have to live stories that are actually compelling. Actually compelling. And stories that are actually compelling are ones that are actually submitted and surrendered to Jesus and his lordship. They align us with the history-shaping narrative claim that we intellectually affirm all the time. And here's the reason. Like, we all affirm. Most of us would affirm, yes, Jesus is Savior and Lord. We intellectually affirm it. But do we actually believe that the gospel is, in fact, good news? You see, we are kingdom disciples. We insist. Here's what we insist with our stories, that there's a better way, a way that actually leads to life and to true flourishing. But instead, what I think we become really good at is just narrative replacement. And we replace one bad narrative with another, you know, bad narrative with church clothes on it. And we don't put before one another, Jesus is Savior and Lord over it all. And do our stories flow out of that? How Jesus-centered is your story? We need to speak this truth to one another. We need to, to be sharing these stories, not for mere inspiration, but for deep formation by the Spirit in our lives. And that's why I didn't end this, 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 this talk, just begin with, with stories. But I'm going to end with some stories. Because I, 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 don't want you, I, I don't want to jump to the stories without the why behind them. Why would we be passionate about this? Why would we, we, we be consumed with this as a community of telling one another the work and the power of God? You see, in our own community, in, in this church, in the last week, we have seen God move in some really profound ways. There's a college kid who's, he's getting ready to go off to college. He just felt the Lord call him to start a, a small little Bible study out at a park. And that's grown over the weeks. And it's grown over the weeks. And he just told us last week about six of his friends. These are all going to be college freshmen, all of them, college freshmen. Six of his friends surrendering, submitting their lives to Jesus. Because he just said yes. Because he just goes, Lord, I don't, I don't know if this is for me or for two or three. But God goes, I'm writing a bigger story. I'm Savior and Lord. Do what I say. And not even just, it didn't just stop there. But there was a girl there whose dad was on a ventilator in a hospital. And they're like, let's do what we know to do. They put her in the middle of this circle. And they said, can we lay hands on you? And she's like, sure. They laid hands on her and prayed for her father. And that next day, he was removed from a ventilator. Like, God's move, God's power, right? And some of you are just like, oh, yeah, like, youthful zeal, I wish I had it, right? 
tell you a story, um, and this isn't organized by the church, meaning the leaders or the elders, pastors or ministry leaders. We have a family who most of you know walking through um, sickness with their 10-year-old child. And this story is unresolved. I'm not going to tell you at the end of this story that she's miraculously healed. Maybe there will be a Sunday where we get to stand up here and celebrate that. Yeah, I'm praying for that, right? And I'm praying like a Pentecostal, not a Southern Baptist, okay? I'm praying, Jesus, you heal her, right? Not if it's your will, okay? I'm just saying, like, I grew up in both of those. So listen, I got my foot in both, okay? (laughs) All right, I offend everybody. But that's how we're praying. And so listen, on Friday, not organized by us, somebody just sent out a text and said, hey, we're gonna come and and pray in your driveway and we're gonna storm heaven's gates on behalf of Charlie to pray that God would heal her. And so I show up there at the time start, and I see a row of cars. I'm like, surely not, like a row of cars. And then like it's, everybody opened their door. I don't know if you guys noticed this, those of you that are there, everybody opened their door like all at once and people just begin to flood and walk up and I'm like, what is going on? I mean, we hold a prayer meeting and four people show up, me, my wife, and Sam and Audrey, okay? Like, <laughs> We get one text, like it's the whole army's just showing up. And God is, listen, and people just begin to pray and asking and pleading and begging the Lord to move in the life of this little girl. And it's beautiful, praying for her family. Like that's the church. That's what God's going, going, listen, I'm Lord, I'm sovereign over this all. I'm in control of it. I'm moving, I'm healing, I'm restoring, I'm doing all those things. How about, I, I got one more. It's all in a week, guys. If we just open our eyes, we'll see him. My fear is we don't slow down enough. We don't slow down enough to see him move. In formation group, uh, a lady shared just something vulnerable happened in her life and just a struggle um, that was going on. And that evening, uh, she had a dream. Right? She's laying there, she had a dream. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you have a dream, you're like, okay, Lord, is that from you, not from you? Like, I'm trying to discern that. And you just kind of go, you kind of end with, I don't know. Lord, if it was from you, thank you. If not, like, all right. So another lady in her formation group, and think about the faith that, that is required to do this, reached out to this other lady and said, hey, crazy, you know, I just had a dream about you last night. And here's what the dream was and laid it out. Let me tell you, they were the same. What? And some of you, 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 I can feel your skepticism. Some of you are going, that's what happened. Like, what faith for this person, not knowing that this other woman had had that dream, just to go, I I don't know, the Lord told me to tell you this, to tell you this, what, what he said. And maybe it'll help you. And she's going, yeah, it helps me. Just confirmed that, you know. And there was this moment of like worship going, God, thank you. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to move like that, but you did. And it was a sweet gift. I tell you those stories because here's the reality. When we begin to venture down this road, right? There are two things I want from us, all right, as a community. And I'm going to wrap up with this. I want us to be patient. I want us to be patient with one another. I want us to be patient with us as a community because this is a, this is a learned skill and discipline of storytelling. I want you this week, whoever you get together with, gospel community and praxis or formation or just coffee around your table, whatever it is, I want you to begin to ask one another, how's God moving? 
What are you seeing God do in your life this week? And listen, the good, bad, and the ugly, right? As the redeemed, it's all God moving and orchestrating, right? From the, the, the miraculous to the mundane, it's all him moving. So share it all, right? Share the movement of God. So let's be patient in growing in this skill together. And then the second thing is this. We have to be willing to risk being misunderstood. Okay? Being misunderstood. Our stories and the stories we share are not infallible. We're fallible. We're people in process. We're people discovering who God is and what he's saying. Listen, our stories don't trump the word of God, and no one is ever saying that. But what our stories do is they embody the narrative. They embody what this text is saying from the beginning to the end in profound and powerful ways that our God designed. Because some of you are going, well, uh, theologically, when they said this, actually, it was, and we're just like, shut up. Or, I mean, be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. They had more faith than you to step up and say, this is what God's doing and what he's saying and he's speaking in his presence in my life. And listen to me, that's what I want more than anything. I want his presence to show up in power because why? The narrative over our church and our lives is this. Jesus is savior and he's Lord. It's all his and I trust him with it all. My life in this church. And so let us be a people who are telling the stories of God's grace and mercy and power and triumph and struggle and tension for his glory. Okay, let's pray. Father, God, I, I, I ask for you to give us um, the faith to endeavor in this discipline more beautifully than we do. God, that you would open our eyes to your spirit's movement and shaping and God, may you illuminate possibly why we don't have stories to tell. God, that there might be a reason in our hearts and our lives that the only story um, we can tell is one of religiosity or moralism. God, I long for more of your presence in my life. I long for more of your presence in this community. God, edified and, and that fan flamed by stories of salvation, of restoration, of reconciliation, of faithful forgiveness and faithful wrestling, Lord God. God, let us be a people who actually believe the gospel is good news. Let us not be a community of faith just trying to clean up our acts and tell lies to one another, Lord God, but let us be a community who is completely surrendered to Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, and that our stories would be formed and flow out of that. And I love you. I love you for the work you're doing. Now I pray that you continue to go before us this week, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the stories of your power and your love and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.